Isaiah chapter 47. And this evening, it's about the fall of Babylon. The fall of Babylon. Here, Isaiah is predicting the fall of Babylon 150 uh, 150 years before it falls and it's destroyed. Babylon, the proud queen, is now a humbled slave. Here in verse 7, Babylon boasted about how I shall be a lady forever. But in a moment, her sins caught up with her and she was judged and she became a widow. A widow to all the things that she loved and held on dear to that God, you know, God hated. Idolatry, the things that they worshipped. Neither her idols nor her occult practices were able to warn her or prepare her for her destruction. But God knew all along, of course, that Babylon would fall because he planned the fall a long time ago. He called Cyrus to be the one to bring her down. And Cyrus swooped down on Babylon like a hawk would swoop down on its prey. Babylon did not show the Jews any mercy. So God judged them for that. Let's begin now with verse 1 in chapter 47. And Isaiah says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. God is calling them to come down. He says, Get down here and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground in miserable humiliation. Because there's no throne for you anymore, O daughter of the Chaldeans. Now, Chaldea, it's the same as Babylon. It was just southern Babylon. So it wasn't two different places, just different parts of Babylon. And God says, never again will you be the lovely princess, tender and delicate. The words, O virgin daughter of Babylon, is sarcastic talk. Because Babylon had acted like she was God's daughter. She was about to find out that she was the daughter of the Chaldeans, again, the southern part of Babylon. So she wouldn't be thought of as a heavenly princess anymore, tender and delicate. The virgin daughter of Babylon is the city Babylon. And Isaiah sees her as a spoiled, self-pleasing girl who always got her way. But now she's experiencing the shock of exile and slavery and abuse. Now, this just isn't a picture of an ancient culture invaded by Cyrus a long time ago. It's a prophetic vision of our judgment that God will bring, that it's coming as we see it pictured in Revelation chapter 18. The virgin daughter Babylon stands for success, luxury, and contentment, but without God a part of their life. She's forgotten God. And that's a really serious mistake, a big-time mistake. God gives the command here in verse 1 to come down. It's, It's the idea of humiliation. It's the idea of falling from a high position to a lower one. And the psalmist said in Psalm 75, 7, God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. The second command in verse 1 is to sit on the ground. This speaks of the shameful humiliation and dishonor of being dethroned. The high being brought down, being brought low. And the last part of verse 1 gives us the reason for God's command. 
He says, tender and delicate. You will no longer be tender and delicate. These two words speak of the kind of life that a queen would live. A tender life, a delicate life, luxury. Luxury alone at one time described the life of Babylon, but all of that's gone now. You see, our flesh is not to be catered to. Our flesh is not to be pampered. Paul said our flesh is to be crucified. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, I'm like a boxer. He said, I buffet my body. I beat my body. I handle it roughly. I discipline my body by hardships and I conquer it. I conquer it that it doesn't have its way because our body is always wanting to do its own. It's craving all kinds of things that are unpleasing to God. Verse 2. Take the millstones and grind meal. Remove your veil. Take off the skirt. Uncover the thigh. Pass through the rivers. Isaiah says here, take the millstones, take millstones like the poorest female slave of the house does and grind meal. Take off your veil and uncover your hair. Remove your skirt, bare your leg, wade through the waters at the command of your captors. Now verse 2 is a picture of the humiliation that Babylon was finally subjected to. She had mistreated God's people. Babylon had mistreated the people of Israel, and the day finally came when she was brought low. Grinding meal in verse 2 was usually work for female slaves. Sitting on the ground or in the dust, like it says in verse 1, is more than just humiliation. It involves the work of a slave, doing the job of the lowest slaves. And Babylon was to take millstones and grind mill like a slave. And in addition, in addition to grinding meal, it says that Babylon was to remove her veil, that is, uncover her hair, subjecting herself to great disgrace. Where it says, take off the skirt, that might refer to a flowing garment like a train, but not really sure of the, of the, of the full meaning here. To uncover the thigh suggests doing menial labor. Also, it suggests the, same, uh, the shame of, dis, uh, of indecent exposure. So Babylon would lose its status and its privilege. Verse 3. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not arbitrate with a man. Isaiah says you will be naked and you will be burdened with shame. And God says I will take vengeance against you without pity. Nakedness. Suggests disgrace, indecency, indecency, lack of self-respect, and weakness. God is saying here, I'm not going to have any mercy on you when I send my vengeance upon you in the person of Cyrus. And everyone is going to see what I do. Everybody's going to see it. Babylon is going to be seen for what she really is. Now, outwardly, she may have looked attractive to the world. She may have looked like a mighty and powerful kingdom, but now her true inward condition is nakedness. And it will be seen by everybody. So her rebuke here by the Lord is the shame that had been seen in what she did. That is, Babylon has to deal with someone that's way stronger than she is who will do something about her evil behavior. And again, the evil behavior towards God's people. The last words in verse 3 says, I will not arbitrate with a man. In other words, God simply is saying that no man will be able to stand against me. 
No man will be able to resist me. He's not going to be able to stop what I'm going to do. Verse 4. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Here now, in verse 4, the people are responding to what the Lord said in verses 1 through 3. By admitting the power and the might of their only and true Redeemer, Babylon has been threatened with judgment so that redemption might be brought to Israel. You see, God has the sovereign power to destroy the world empire Babylon. And he also has the power and the will to redeem his people. And Israel knows who its redeemer is. It says here, the Lord of hosts in verse 4. All hosts, whoever they might be, belong to the God of Israel. All hosts, whoever they might be, are under the Lord God. Verse 5. He says, sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called the lady of kingdoms. So he says, oh, beautiful Babylon, now just sit in darkness and be quiet because you will never again be known as the queen of kingdoms. So the Lord gives this command to Babylon, these commands to Babylon again. He's picking up here where he left off in verse 1. And the word seems to refer, the words seem to refer to the sadness that comes over somebody whose shame has been found out. Babylon, it says here, is to go into darkness. That suggests grief and suffering. They're going to experience grief and suffering. Why? Because Babylon had ruled with a strong hand. And Babylon was so sure that she would never lose her power and might over the other kingdoms. Babylon was the center of attention. She was in the spotlight. But now it says the daughter of the Chaldeans is to be so humiliated that she'll be covered over with darkness and nobody's going to see her anymore. God's going to bring her to nothing. Isaiah says that Babylon, that is the Babylonian Empire, will no longer be thought of as the lady of kingdoms, that is the queen of nations, because God's going to bring her down. Verse 6. He says, I was angry with my people. God says, I was angry with my people, my chosen people. I have profaned, I have profaned my inheritance and given them into your hand. You showed them no mercy on the elderly. You laid your yoke very heavily. God says here in verse 6, he says, I was angry with my people, my chosen people. He's an, and he says, I punish them by, by, by letting them fall into your hands. I punish them by using you to do that. But he says, you Babylon, you didn't show them any mercy. You, were, you, were, you, you even oppressed the old people. And Isaiah now tells Israel why God brought his judgment upon them. Israel's whole history, as we've seen, Israel's whole history has been one of rebellion and disobedience. A repeated behavior, rebellion and disobedience. And that's why God is angry at the nation of, at the nation of Israel. Even though God's people had, 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 had fallen away, he, he delivered them or he provided a deliverer again and again. And you know what? He didn't do it without thinking. He didn't do it automatically. You know, when, when God's people, you know, failed, when they fell away, you know, he delivered them. 
Again, he, didn't, he just didn't say, oh, you know, he didn't do it unconsciously or automatically. He, he wasn't affected by their cries for help. He didn't spare Israel from the consequences of the constant trouble that they got themselves into and that they got from foreign oppressors. You know why God delivered them? Because of his promises to Abraham. When God makes a promise, he will not break it. God made a promise to Abraham and his covenants that he would never leave them nor forsake them. He would be their God. And so the saving of God's people wasn't because of any goodness of their own. It wasn't because they were, you know, good, good people in and of themselves, you know, or, nor because of their willingness to repent. God showed his compassion to his people and his pity on his disobedient people who grieved him constantly. He showed his compassion on them by delivering them in spite of them. Thank God for that. I'm so thankful that God takes care of me, not because I'm, I'm, I'm so good and I'm, and I'm worth it. It's because he's made a promise to me. I'm his child. He disciplines me. You know, but he's, his passion is shown towards me. His grace is yet given to me. He remains faithful, even though his people failed him. And God's anger showed, showed by, by calling his people profane in verse 6. He sees them as his inheritance, suggesting that they belong to him forever. That's a blessing. But to profane his inheritance means no longer thinking of it as holy. No longer thinking of his people as holy because they were rebellion and rebellious and disobedient. Only a holy people could be the Lord's. By profaning them, he's rejecting them. And this fact is shown in that he gives them, okay, he gives them, which only God could do and which only God has the power to do. He, he gives them, okay, uh, that is the people of God, the once, once holy nation, he gives them into the hand of the secular, the profane nation of the world. That's Babylon. Babylon did know about God's sovereign purposes. They believed that, that she was in control of, of all things. And Babylon misused her privilege and opportunity and showed cruelty in the things that she did. So now God's going to humble her. And what Babylon was doing, Babylon didn't know that she was carrying out the purposes and the will of God. Yet her own motives were sinful and corrupt. It wasn't God who put this corruption in them or corrupted them or made them sinful. That was their natural behavior. But in what they were doing, they were carrying out God's purpose and will. Babylon's cruelty is described by the simple words in verse 6, you showed them no mercy. Specifically, Babylon mistreated the elderly. Verse 7, and you said, I shall be a lady forever, so that you did not take these things to heart, nor remember the latter end of them. God said to them through, through Isaiah, that, that you, you Babylon, you said that you were going to reign forever as the queen of the world. You weren't thinking about what you were doing or the consequences that what you were doing would bring. Not only had Babylon dealt harshly with God's people, which God put in her hands, 
But Babylon talked as if she would be a ruler of people in her own strength. And Babylon didn't understand that her time would soon be over and that the God of the people that she oppressed was about to change her little world. You see, in her own mind, in verse 7, she says, I will be a lady forever. I will be the queen of the kingdoms, the queen of the nations forever. Babylon was so sure that she was in control of her own eternity that she couldn't think of anything else. So she didn't even think about God being in control of her destiny. That's pretty much like our world today. They think they're in control of their own eternity. They're in control of their own destiny. No place for God. Babylon had continued in her sin and she was fooling herself. So much so that she was blinded by her foolishness. She was blinded to the truth. And as a result, she didn't look at God. He says there, notice, he says, you didn't take things to heart. You didn't take these things to heart. You didn't take it seriously. Now, when he said you didn't take these things to heart, this involves giving thought to something. They didn't think about what they were doing. They didn't think about God. They didn't think about the consequences of what they were doing. And then, after thinking about what they were doing, then acting upon it. Babylon didn't think about these things they were doing. Specifically, the judgment of destruction that was coming to them and her removal from the throne. They figured, we're going to be here forever. We're going to rule forever. We're We're the queen of the nations. The heart, okay, again, God said you didn't take these things to heart. The heart is looked at in Scripture as a place where man's thoughts are placed. The heart is the inner self that thinks, that feels, and decides. And in the Bible, the word heart has a much broader meaning than it does today when we think about the heart today. We just think about it as a heart and it keeps us alive. But the heart is fundamental to man. It's basic to man. Nearly all the references uh, uh, to the heart in the Bible refer to some part of human uh, human personality. In the Bible, all emotions are experienced by the heart. Like love and hate and joy, peace and courage and fear. And the thinking processes of man are said to be carried out by the heart. Carried out by the heart. This normal activity relates to what would be called the mind in English. So the heart might think, understand, imagine, remember, be wise and speak to itself. Decision-making is also carried out by the heart. Purpose, intention, and will are also actions of the heart. And lastly, the heart often means someone's true character or personality. Listen to what Jesus said about the heart in Matthew, uh, Mark 7, verse 21 through 23. He said, for from within, notice, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within and they are what defile you. Notice where it comes from? The heart. 
That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it, your heart, spring the issues of life. A corrupt heart, a corrupt life. A healthy life, I'm sorry, a healthy heart, a healthy life, a good life, a sound life. These specific thoughts that God is speaking to here, to Babylon about here, these specific thoughts should have been on Babylon's heart. But he says they weren't in your heart. She didn't put them in their heart, so she neglected what she was supposed to do. She neglected her duty. Her thoughts of being all-powerful is what kept her from doing what she should have done. Nothing about God. So she did what she wanted to do. Verse 8. Therefore, hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, notice, I am, and there is no one else besides me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. God says here, listen to this. You pleasure-seeking kingdom, who are living comfortably and secure, you say to yourself, hey, I'm the only one. I am. You're the only one. Babylon said, I'm the only one, and there's nobody else like me. There's no other. I'll never be a widow, or I'll never lose my children. Babylon was arrogant and careless. They didn't believe that a terrible fall was coming to them. Babylon caught up. They got caught up, I should say. They were caught up in chasing after power and pleasure. That's why Babylon is a, is a, is a type of the world. You can see the, the world in Babylon. Babylon be, believed in its own greatness and its power. And there's nobody like it. And they claim to be the only power on earth. That might have been the United States at one time or another. But look at it now. We're a joke to a lot of, lot of countries. And they're threatening to invade other countries and threatening to, to do things to us. And, you know, it, it's a whole different thing now. Because we've been arrogant and we've been careless. We don't believe that in, in a God and a terrible fall that could happen. That we're the mightiest and the best. Full of power, power and pleasure. Believing in our own greatness. Babylon had this false peace. This false security. They felt totally secure. King Nebuchadnezzar is a good example of this. King Nebuchadnezzar exalted himself as a god. But the true and the living God taught Nebuchadnezzar a very powerful lesson. King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon at one time. And one day he was looking out over this, the beautiful and magnificent city of Babylon. And as he's looking out at, the, at, at this magnificent city, he says, look at this great Babylon that I have built. He doesn't give God any credit. So what, God, what, so what does God do? God sends him out to the field like an animal, an ox, to eat grass. And for a long time, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't know who he was. 
And King Nebuchadnezzar lived like an animal. You see, it was God's judgment on King Nebuchadnezzar. God took his power away immediately. You know, we need to look at our own flesh today, our own life today. And we need to ask ourselves, how can we be more responsible with the talents and the possessions that God has given us? How can we use our life to honor God rather than to, to pamper our flesh and, and to, to use our life for ourselves, to honor ourselves? Verse 9. But these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day, and that is <clears throat> the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in their fullness because of the multitude of your sorceries and for the great abundance of your enchantments. God says, <clears throat> both of these things are going to come upon you in a moment, and that is widowhood and the loss of your children. These calamities are going to come upon you despite all of your witchcraft and all of their magic. You see, Babylon thought that she was exempt from these two things, widowhood and the loss of her children. But both of them are going to happen to her suddenly and on the same day. You see, Babylon practiced all kinds of magic. They, used, they, they practiced magic to protect, protect themselves against danger and disaster. But the disasters that were coming, they, they were a sure thing because God's bringing them. And even though there's all kinds of magic and all, all kinds of, of spells, a variety of spells that Babylon practiced, it's not going to turn away God's judgment that's coming. Verse 10. Because you have trusted in your wickedness, you have said, notice, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. And you have said in your heart, I am and there is no one else besides me. God says, you felt secure in your wickedness. He said, nobody sees me. Nobody sees what I'm doing. And how many people feel the same way? Nobody sees. Nobody knows. What. But your wisdom and your knowledge, God says, have led you astray. And you say in your heart, hey, I'm the only one. There's no other. You see, there's always a serious danger of a nation or a person, a man or a woman, being lifted up by pride and feeling like they're able to make it on their own. And we're living in a country today where, man, where men can become rich. And not necessarily by doing some great service or by making a, 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 a great contribution to, to mankind. But they can become rich by being in a business that brings men down and corrupts them instead of building them up. Millions of dollars are being made through entertainment. And many people are getting rich through the sale of you know, alcohol and drugs and pornography and gambling and the list goes on. We are in many questionable businesses as a nation. And our ways of doing business, they're not always right. And we try to cover these things up thinking no one sees me. No one cares. I'll never get caught. And that's what Babylon was thinking in her heart. Her thoughts were showing her godless attitude. She thinks, nobody sees me. No, there's nobody looking. There's no one that's able to punish me. 
There's no one able to, no one able to stop me. Which is the same as saying, there's no God who watches what we do. And there's no God who can intervene to give out judgment and punish as he desires. But notice what God says there, your knowledge has warped you. Your knowledge has warped you. It's betrayed you. Your so-called wisdom and knowledge has caused you to turn from the right, right way to another way leading to a wrong path. And there's only one right way. That's God's way. Anything else is leading, on, leading you to a wrong path. It's leading you down the wrong road. If a person has wisdom and knowledge, that wisdom and knowledge should lead them to confess the Lord is God. And that there is no one else but the Almighty God. Instead, Babylon's, Babylon's wisdom and knowledge, which came from an unbelieving heart, warped them, which made them say that there is no one else. But God does see, and He does know, and God will judge us just like He did Babylon. Verse 11. Therefore, all right, in light of what He just said, therefore, evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises, and trouble shall fall upon you. You will not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. So God says, disaster is going to overtake you. And none of your magic, none of it is going to be able to help you. None of that magic that you practice you know, for protection is going to chase it away. Disaster is going to fall on you and you're not going to be able to buy your way out. It's going to strike you suddenly and it's something that you are not prepared for. Like I said, the word therefore connects Babylon's thinking that they have knowledge in verse 10 with the just judgment that the nation didn't know it was coming. And boy, is this nation going to be in for a surprise. And again, if they haven't woken up in the last two years, what's going to wake them up? What's going to wake them up? Verse 12. Stand now with your enchantments, notice, and the multitude of your sorceries in which you have labored from your, your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you will prevail. God says here, hey, go ahead, use your magic. Oh, use your magic spells that you have worked so hard with all of these years, that you've used all of these years. Maybe they'll do you some good. Maybe they can make someone afraid of you. God is obviously being sarcastic here. Urging Babylon to turn to their witchcraft and, and that she's trusted and, and has gotten her into and it's gotten her into trouble. God says, You think you're so great, why don't you trust it to get you out of trouble? Verse 13. You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. God says, all the advice, Babylon, that you receive, that you've received, all the advice has made you tired. Where are all your astrologers? Where are those stargazers who made predictions every month? Let them stand up and save you from what the future holds, for what I'm going to bring upon you. Babylon is now confused. And the city lives up to its name because Babylon means confusion. 
and confusion is overwhelming them. That great city depended on its economic strength. Their confusion shows their absence of the living God because it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 30, 14, 30, God is not the author of confusion. And we are living in a confused society today. But something has to happen to the nation. And it was dying within. As we can look and see, we're destroying ourselves. With our laws and our and, and, and uh, booting God out of everything. We're destroying ourselves. And we're living in a country that depends upon its economic strength. And where is that today? But something is also uh, wrong with us. And we won't face up to it. Not that we don't have a problem, but that our problem is moral. It's a moral problem. And as a nation, we have departed from the living and true God. The old city of Babylon, which you would think seems so unrelated to us, like, you know, this is Babylon. This was something that, you know, way back in, in ancient of days, you, you would think because it's so unrelated to us that there's nothing there for us to glean from. Hey, it has a ma- message for us tonight. The history and the destruction of Babylon is a warning to us. It is warning us. Verse 14. Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It shall not be a coal to be warmed by, nor a fire to sit before. God says they're like, Babylon, they're like straw burning in a fire. They can't save themselves from fire. You won't get any help from them at all. There is no place to sit down and get warm. And again, he's talking about the the magic and their enchantments and other astrologers and all these prognosticators. He says, you know, you're like sitting by a fire. They can't help you. You're not going to get any help from these people. The destruction of the astro- <clears throat> excuse me, the, extra- the destruction of the astrologer is something that, that, that can now be seen. The astrologers were impressive to the people when they made their predictions. But we see their character. In that when God's judgment comes, they will disappear as quickly as straw is burned up by a fire. He says they don't even last as long as wood in a fire. They're consumed immediately. And the scripture says in Hebrews, our God is a consuming fire. And they can't save themselves from the consuming flame. So if they can't save themselves, that is these magicians and prognosticators and fortune, how foolish to look to them, Babylon, to save you. Let's close with verse 15. Thus shall they be to you with whom you have labored, your merchants from your youth. They shall wander each one to his quarter and no one shall save you. God says, all of your friends that you've done business with, business with since childhood, they're going to go their own ways and they aren't going to listen to your cries. They're going to turn a deaf ear to your cries. So this sums up the destruction of Babylon's astrologers. They are not going to be any help to Babylon. They were just the opposite. Even with all of their work, they were not helpful to Babylon. 
And Babylon's fate would even overtake those whom they had labored with. It's ancient merchants who, whose business they depended on for their wealth. The merchants in Babylon really didn't care about her. They dealt with Babylon totally for business reasons. They used her for their own benefit. In the time of crisis, they run for safety and they weren't the least bit concerned for the city. And at the time of judgment, the hand of God falls on man's kingdom, that kingdom goes down to destruction. And everyone that depended upon her and all those that she worked with now abandon her, man. They just leave her all alone. And each of the merchants goes their own way in order to find a place of refuge from the destruction, if that's possible. Because Revelation tells us that man is not going to be able to hide from the judgment of God. And here there's no concern for Babylon. No one is running to her rescue. And it's going to be the same thing in the last days or during the Great Tribulation. Nobody is going to be able to rescue us or rescue those in the Great Tribulation at that last day. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Father, the picture that you give us here of Babylon is a warning to us, God. Father, how Babylon, a once proud city, arrogant, without God, trusting in things that were, that were helpless, hopeless. And God judged them for that. A picture of what God will do to any nation, to any people, of which He is not their God. And so, Lord, let us take it to heart. Just as God said to Babylon, they didn't take these things to heart. Let us not be foolish and careless in our thinking as a nation, as an individual. But the, the things of God are real. And God's going to bring judgment one day. And Father, may we be able to stand before the judge in peace and righteousness and acceptable to you. So Father, again, may we take to heart the warnings in the scriptures. May we look to you. May we live for you, God. And may we be looking unto Jesus looking up, knowing that our redemption is drawing near. And the age, the end of the age is upon us. So Father, we thank you. We love you. We give you honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, a few announcements.